At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, finding your Christmas story in theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I would encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. And uh, I'm really excited. This is like one of my favorite weeks every year as we run quickly fast towards uh, Christmas and we get a chance to uh, uh, just celebrate the birth of Jesus together. And uh, this morning, I'm thankful for the time that we have uh, to look intently into God's word. So let me ask you this question as you're turning to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Do you find it difficult to share good news? No, right? No one. If you have good news, you want to share it, right? Like you go to the doctor and, and you've had this ailment for a while and the doctor tells you, hey, you're all clear. Everything's good. You're fully and you're healthy. How do you respond? Like, that's good news. You cheer and you want to tell other people about this good news. Or, or maybe it's uh, the birth of a child, right? You don't want to keep that silent. You want people to know that you just had a baby and that you're, you're, uh, your life is about to change. Or when you get engaged, you want to tell people all of that good news. Or when your team finally wins in victory. We want to share our stories of joy, Right? When joy comes into our life, we don't want to keep it to ourselves, but yet we want to share it with as many people as we possibly can. But I, The question that I want us to struggle with today, though, is what do we do with the greatest news of all time? What do we do with the greatest message of all time? The, the words that the world desperately needs to hear and what the world desperately desires. What do we do with that message? Today we're going to continue our series entitled Eyewitnesses as we've been walking through the birth narrative of Jesus that we find in Scripture. We've been taking a look at the, the witnesses that were there and we're trying to live through what were they thinking, what were they feeling, what were they experiencing through the birth of Jesus, the Savior. And a couple weeks ago, we started and we looked at Mary and how uh, when the angel came to her, how she responded uh, to being the mother of Jesus. And then last week, we looked at Joseph and how he responded to being the, the earthly father of Jesus and how this news like wrecked his world. And today, I want us to look at the gospel narrative, this birth narrative through the eyes of the shepherds. And as we get ready to dive into that, you know what one shepherd said to the other shepherd? You know what I heard? Sheep. Some of you got that. Some of you are just now getting it. Some of you at lunch will be like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And some of you still aren't going to get it, and that's fine. Well, I'll spell it out to you later. No, but it's interesting that we're going to take a look at Jesus uh, being announced to the world to shepherds and how amazing this is. And what I think the, the big takeaway from the passage of Scripture today that I hope we're able to see is that Jesus is good news for everyone. 
Jesus' good news for everyone. And that's what we're going to see today as we look, as we walk through this familiar text uh, for many of you. Some of you, this may be brand new, and, and, which is great. You'll think I'm the smartest guy that ever lived. But for others of you, you're like, yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it. But I pray if you've heard it, that today you hear it with fresh ears and fresh eyes. So today I want us to see what the shepherds saw and how that impacts our life today. So we're gonna see three truths from this passage today. The first one I want us to see is I hope that we're able to see the glory of God. See the glory of God. Look at me in verse eight. We'll go verse eight, nine, and then we'll jump on down to 13 and 14. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Let's jump down to verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those in whom he is well pleased. In this passage, we see that the shepherds have an opportunity to see the glory of the Lord. But it's interesting to note, and I think we can easily gloss over this, but it's interesting to note that God announces the greatest news of all time not in the normal way. Right? If you and I were bearers of good news, where would we go? You wouldn't keep it to yourself. Right? If you're older, you'd go right to Facebook, right? All your good news gets posted on Facebook. If you're younger, you go to Instagram or Snap, right? So you're going someplace. When you have good news, you cannot keep it to yourself. You know that you want to get that message out there. And so you go to the proper places. Imagine, just for a moment, this afternoon, you're like tinkering around in your garage and you find the cure to COVID. Would that be good news? Finally, in your hands, you have possession to make all this madness stop. And what would you do? Would you keep it to yourself? Heck no. You're calling a press conference. You're calling the president. You're calling whoever will listen. And you're saying, hey, I have this wonderful message. I found the cure. Can't keep it to yourself. But we also know that in our lives, we try and can, when we have good news, bring it to the proper places. But God, when he announces the greatest news of all time, doesn't do it in the normal way. He doesn't come to a king. He doesn't come to the dignitaries. He doesn't do it in a universal way, which he has the power to. Instead, announcing the greatest news of all time to shepherds. Now, shepherds really are the epitome of the ignorable. Right? Shepherds are lowly. They are insignificant people in that culture. And it's interesting that God comes with the greatest message to those that are humble. God comes to those that are ordinary. And on this day, we see that these shepherds were going about their daily jobs. And as they're going about their daily jobs, they had an encounter with God, and they were firsthand eyewitnesses to God's saving purposes for the world. Now, what do we know about these shepherds? This is in the same region. Now, what's he talking about? It's, we see the connecting from the, the verses before this to where they are now. And what we know is that Jerusalem is there, and in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem are where these shepherds are hanging out. 
We know that they're watching over their, their flock at night. And so we have these humble guys that are checking out and watching over these sheep. And it's interesting to know that more than likely these sheep were known as temple sheep. That they were set aside for service of the temple. And so sometimes these sheep would be used for their wool. These sheep would be used for their milk, sometimes for food. But most importantly, because these were temple sheep, some of these sheep were used for the sacrifices at the temple. Remember, according to the Old Testament law, because of man's sin, every single day in the temple, a spotless lamb would have to be sacrificed in the morning and at night as a constant reminder to God's people that they were sinful and they were in need of a savior and that there is a cost and a price to sin. And that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So day in and day out, these lambs were slaughtered. They were killed as a constant reminder of sin. So these are the sheep that these shepherds are watching over. Some of them that were born with the purpose to die. But what's also interesting about it is this is the time of year that is known as the lambing season. And so the shepherds were watching over these sheep at night, not only protect them, but they had to watch because it was the lambing season. These lambs were, uh, these sheep were giving birth to lambs. And it was happening around the clock. And a lot of times what would happen is when one of these sheep would uh, give birth, they not only would give birth to one, but multi multiple uh, lambs. So two, sometimes three. And so the shepherds had to keep a watch over the sheep at night because they didn't know when they would go into labor. And according to the law, the firstborn of the first lamb that was born was the one that was supposed to be given away or set aside for temple worship. And so I hope you can get the connection here. What you've got are shepherds intently watching over the sheep, waiting for a lamb to be born. You catch that? And as they're going about their daily business, their ordinary lives, nothing special about their lives, this one night in this very special way, an angel appears to them. Out of the blue, not expected. And as they're watching and waiting for a baby lambs to be born, they get to be, in just a few moments, eyewitnesses to the Lamb of God. This Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. So suddenly, without warning, an angel appears and the glory of the Lord shines around them. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like, but I know it must be frightening and absolutely terrifying because it says here, how did the, um, the shepherds respond? With great fear. The actual kind of, when you break it down into Greek, what it really means is megaphobic. Right? They were overwhelmed with the presence of God and the glory of God, so much so that it brought about great fear. This reminds me of the time back in the Old Testament. Remember when Moses has led God's people out of Egypt and they're at Mount Sinai. And Moses is there and God is there in the presence over the mountain. And then God reveals himself or shows himself, shows his glory to the people of God. Remember how they responded? 
They were overwhelmed with great fear. And they're like, please, Moses, tell God not to speak to us in this way because it's too overwhelming for us. Please, you be our mouthpiece between us and God. Like, you speak to us from God because we can't take it because it's so overwhelming. They were filled with fear. Where do you think that fear came from? Right? I, I think that the, the fear comes from when we enter into the presence of God and into the glory of God, it's in that moment that we see God for who he is and we see us as we really are. Right? We see that God is infinite and holy and mighty and majestic and we see ourselves as sinful rebels against God and we know that we are accountable to this great God so it produces inside of us great fear. Like as a child, remember when you did wrong and you heard your mom scream to you from the other room because she found out what you did? Do you remember that? I don't know about you, but in my house, that invokes a sense of great fear, right? Because you know you did it, and now you have to give an accounting of it. It's kind of in that, this way, it's much, much more magnified because this is megaphobic. Like the most overwhelming fear of all time, these, these shepherds are fearing because they know who they are in sight of who God truly is. So they see the glory of the Lord. And then we go on down to verse 13. So not only do we see the glory of the Lord show up in the angels, but in an instant, there's a multitude of heavenly hosts. And what do they do? They come up and they're praising God. They're giving glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In this moment, what we see is a moment of praise and a moment of peace. Right, where, where God, the God of the universe who has created all things, brings together this beautiful thing in heaven and earth. Have you ever wondered what is the greatest need of man? Like, have you ever had time to like search inside of your heart and you say, what is my greatest need? I'll tell you what your greatest need is, whether you can identify it or not. Your greatest need and my greatest need is peace, right? Our greatest need is peace. We know from the moment that we're born that life is hard. Life is full of all kinds of dysfunction. Life is full of all kinds of pain. We see people doing evil things and we are recipients of, of the collateral damage from other people's bad decisions. We ourselves make bad decisions and we hurt people and we live in this world where we desperately are in, in, in a sense of need of peace and we're looking for everywhere else in the world to find peace. But really, at the end of it, our greatest need is to have peace with God. That's, that's our greatest need. And what we see here in this instance, as these angels are proclaiming the sense in which God, the, the glory of God, which is in heaven, is coming to earth. And God is trying to bring peace, not just in your, your human relationships. He's not trying to bring an end of peace of wars and things like that. In essence, what he's trying to bring peace on this earth is the peace between a sinful man and a holy God. That's what God is doing. So in this moment, we see praise and peace as these angels are bringing heaven and earth together. And really, at, 
I, I love how John Piper says this, and I'm going to read this quote from his book, Seeing and Savior in God. He says this, We are all starved for the glory of God, not self. He goes on to say, No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem. Right? You don't go to the edge of the Grand Canyon. You've ever been there. It's a massive thing. You don't stand on the edge of that cliff and you look out and you're like, oh, how great that I am. No, you're overwhelmed by that because you look at that and you say, wait a minute, I can't do that. Even if I had this huge, massive earth mover and a massive digger, I still cannot do that. There's something inside of us that craves the glory of God. That's why we want to see it in creation. That's why we want to see it in the life of a new baby. The glory of God is amazing. This week I was listening to the um, interview of William Shatner um, after his experience in space. You guys know he went to space like for real this time? At like 90-some years old, I don't know how he got the experience, but he got a chance to go up in, in one of those rockets and go up into space and then come back down. And this is, what, this is how he responded. And I have no idea if, like he's, if he's a follower of Jesus. I don't know where he stands and all that. But he was so moved by the experience. This is what he said. He says, as, as I felt myself being propelled away from this beautiful blue planet and seeing it going into space, he says, there I was in the midst of two places where I looked down and saw our beautiful blue home, full of life, full of safety, full of security. And then I looked off into space and all I saw was darkness and all I saw was death. That's what he said. And you know what? We, sometimes we need to be moved to spaces like that where we finally see ourselves for who we really are. We are but a speck in the process of all of creation. To all, all every other being, you are insignificant. Even though the world says make much of yourself, bring much glory to yourself, there's a sense in which we know our space in the cosmos. And we desire the glory of God. We're starved for it. And so we see this is what's happening in this place that the glory of God is showing up and so many times we read this story and I've, I've been guilty of reading this story and I'm like man if I could have just been there that night like if I could see the angels then I would believe right then I would be changed wouldn't you and somehow we we feel like the shepherds got a, the, a, a better portion than we did because they had the revelation and somehow we believe if the, if, the shepherd, if the angels would have showed up to us, then all would be right in the world today. Why doesn't God show up in angels anymore? I'll tell you why. Because we don't need angels. We're like in a much better place. We have a much, much better advantage than the shepherds did. Why? Because I love how the, uh, John in his gospel, in John chapter one, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You know how we, the benefit we have is we have the word, 
right? The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We have Jesus. We can look back on Jesus' life. We can look back on Jesus' death and his sacrifice. And we can look back on Jesus' resurrection because Jesus himself is the revelation. He is the glory of God. The glory of God that came from heaven down to earth and lived among us so that we can know him. I love how the writer of Hebrews says this in, in uh, Hebrews chapter one, verse one. He says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus himself is the radiance. He is the reflection. He is the magnification of the glory of God. And Jesus came down at Christmas time. Not actually at Christmas time, because historically it's not in December, but this is the conversation I had with my daughter earlier this week. And so she's like, you know, Dad, Jesus didn't come on December 25th. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's an opportunity for us to be reminded. She's like, okay, I'll give you that one. But God becomes flesh and dwells among us. He himself became the word. But here's the beauty of this as well, is that he's given us the word. We have the word. We have the glory of God in, contained inside of words so that we can see and we can know who Jesus really is. But the problem for us is that this is easily ignored. To some, this can just become a book that's on a shelf that's filled of pages with a lot of words. But this is the gift of God that reveals Jesus. Every single page of this word points towards Jesus from even in the time of the garden, right? At, at the moment of creation, when God says, let us make man in our image. Jesus was there pointing to the fact that he, we were made in his image, knowing that he would need to die on the cross for our sins because we're sinful and we're rebellious. Every single page points to Jesus, who is the glory of God and the radiance of him. So here's the point. When we see Jesus spoken of in scriptures, in the scriptures, we are seeing the glory of God. So we have a much greater experience than the shepherds who saw the angels because we are invited to see Christ who is both God and man. We get a chance to experience that and the revelation through God's word. Let us not miss it or let us not ignore it. I don't know if you've ever gone through a season of difficulties in your life and you're trying to search for answers. How many times have I find myself coming to the word of God with needs and with pains and with frustration and then I begin to read and I read about God and how he's interacted with creation and how he has done all things through Christ and the word of God just ministers to my heart. Seeing the glory of God through the face of Christ is amazing. And these shepherds on this day get a chance to see the glory of God. But the second thing they also see, they see the humanity of God. Look with me in, in verse 10. He says, And then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news 
of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the, the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when the angels, I'm going down to verse 15, he says, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And when they went there with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So remember, this, as these shepherds hear this message, they're filled with great fear. Because again, they're finally, for the first time, seeing themselves in light of who God really is. They're seeing themselves in their sin. They're seeing themselves in their, their um, distance from God. And what do the angels said to them? Fear not. Fear, fear not. Don't come into the presence of God trying to fix yourself, trying to be different than you are, but just come as you are in your messed up shape because fear not, because this message that comes now to the shepherds and the message that comes to you and I is not a message of fear. It's not a message of judgment. It's a message of hope. And we see that this message is a message of good news. It's a message that will be great joy, that will be for all people. This is an amazing thing that we see God doing. This good news is good. And it's amazing news. But it also will be for great joy. It will fill those that understand this message with great joy. And who is this message for? For all the people. Now, I love sometimes how the Greek and English really come together and encapsulate the, the truth of the passage. So when we come to here and we see that will be for all people, that literally means all people. Not just for some, not just for the good, not just for those that were born in this region of the world, not for those that have this amount of money in their bank account, not for those that do more good and bad than their lives. No, this message is for all the people. This was a global message, the message of hope that it stands for you and for I. So what is this message? Well, we see it in verse 11. For unto you today, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, we've, if you've heard this, this story over the years, you're like, okay, okay, great. Those are just titles, Christ the Lord. Okay, I got it. But you've got to understand, if you're putting yourself back in this situation, in the position of these shepherds, Right, first of all, you're nobody and you're hearing this message, which is the message that the world has been desperately dying for until that moment. Right? So we break this down and we see that he is the Savior. Right? Jesus, this baby, was come to be a Savior. They knew, because they were shepherds, they knew that they were distant from God because of their sin. Right? And even as much as they tried to fix it, they knew that there was nothing they could fix. There, the gulf between them and God. And so they needed a savior, someone to come and save them from their sins, which the Old Testament uh, proclaimed about and prophesied about. From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, he, all humanity was in desperate need of salvation. And so now these shepherds are hearing that there's the Savior has come, the one that's going to fix the ills and the ailments of the world. But not only that, that he who's the Christ, 
Now this word Christ, if, if you take the Old Testament understanding and the New Testament words and you move them all together, it's basically the Messiah, right? That when you see Christ, he's talking to the Messiah. This is the one that God had promised through the prophecies that would come, this one messenger that would come. Not only would he be savior, but he was the promised one. But then we also see that he is the Lord. Now, the Lord here is the Greek word kurios, which is the same word uh, that they use in the New Testament to refer to, uh, to refer to God. So what this angel is saying, what these angels are saying, that this Savior, the one that's going to save you from your sins, is the Messiah, but he's also God himself, that God has come to earth to save man from their sins. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, I'll pick that up. I already read it a little bit, but there's the next part of it. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So not only is he the radiant projection of God's glory, but he is the exact imprint. Another way of saying it, that's the Greek word for character. So not only is, is Jesus a man, but he's also God at the same time. This idea of being exact imprint is a way of thinking about it like this. If you were to make a coin back in the day, you'd have the, um, you'd have the material that's being imprinted and then you have the imprinter and then you put pressure on them. And what would happen is once you release the pressure, what would come out is the exact imprint or the exact character of the original. And so this is exactly what, what uh, the angel is saying is that this baby is God. Yahweh himself. The God that was distant in the Old Testament because of sin. Remember at the moment in, in which Adam and Eve sinned, they were naked and ashamed and they knew that they were distant from God. And in that moment, they, there was this barrier between them and God that could never be overcome by their own power, by their own strength. But now, this God that was distant because of sin has now come to sinful man. This is an amazing thing. This amazing message came to the humble shepherds and they responded in an amazing way. They said, let's go and see this thing that which has been told of us. And maybe it's easy for us to miss the magnitude of this as well. For they had no idea where this baby was. So they had to go and search. And back in the day, there was no GPS, right? There was, there was no street sign. So they didn't even know where this baby was. So the more than likely, they went house to house. And they started going house to house. And they're like, hey, is, is Christ the Lord here? Hey, is Christ the Lord here? Hey, is Christ the Lord here? And they're not finding him anywhere. Until... They get outside of town and they go to a manger or they go to a stable and they see this baby lying in the manger. Just for a moment, get your senses ready, okay? Like the Messiah, the Savior, God himself shows up in a stable. Do you smell the smells of the stable? Have you ever been to a stable? Two prominent smells, hay and urine. The Savior of the world comes and is laid in a feeding trough. 
Do you see the difficulty of this? Like so many times we, we want to believe that God is so distant from us and that somehow in order to come to the Savior, we have to clean ourselves up. We have to fix ourselves. We have to change our behavior. And that's not what God is saying at all. He's saying, hey, I'm coming like, I'm like in a feeding trough for you. Like, so there's no way, there's, there's no way that you could think that I'm not for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are, but I'm here for you. God humbled himself for us. We are invited to draw close to this king who is tender, who is gentle, and who is Lord, lowly. The king of glory has become human so that we can know him. Jesus came for you. Now here's the thing. We all have to decide what we do with Jesus. Because we know Jesus doesn't stay as a baby in a manger, right? That Jesus, everyone wants to embrace. They're like, yeah, baby Jesus, helpless baby Jesus. I want to be there and no crying he makes. Oh, I wish I had that baby Jesus for some of you parents. Right? But J baby Jesus doesn't stay in the manger. Baby Jesus goes to a cross to die in our place because of our sin. Your sin has to be punished. God would not be a loving, just God if he allowed all of your sin to, to come into connection with him. So sin has to be punished, and it was punished by that spotless lamb that went to a cross. But here's how you respond to that. right? You, some people want to pick and choose the parts of Jesus that they, that they like. right? If we take a look at what this announcement from the angels to the shepherd, he is the Savior Christ the Lord, right? That's the fullness of who Jesus is. And unless you accept Jesus as all three of those parts, you're not really accepting Jesus. You're like, well, explain that to me. I will. When I was a child, I was a drug baby. And I mean that by saying I was always drugged to church. Some of you get that one later too. Some of you are like, I was too. Anyway, so I, I, I was always brought up in church. My parents did a great job trying to just rear us in, in the Lord and all of that. And from a very young age, I knew that Jesus was a, a person, a real person. I knew that he was God. So at no point in my life did I ever wrestle with the fact that he was the Messiah. At, at no point did I ever, ever have to wrestle with that. But then at a very young age, at age five, I began to learn more about sin at five, right? I'm learning more about sin and I'm learning in my own life that I was a sinful person. I realized that there were times in my life when my parents would tell me to do something and I didn't want to do it. And I had a wonderful Sunday school teacher one time tell me that, <coughs> that my sin will cause me to go to hell. I was like, I don't want to go to hell. Like, who wants to go to hell, right? Anyone want to go to hell? And you don't want to go to hell, even if you think all your friends are going to be there, because that's not a place where you want to go. <laughs> hell is not a good place. Hell is where the wrath of God is being poured out on the disobedient for all eternity. That's not a place where you want to go. And at five years old, I understood that. I'm like, I don't want to go there. So I considered Jesus, and I'm like, Jesus, save me from hell. So I embraced that part of Jesus. I embraced his deity. I embraced his savingness. And I continued to live my life 
as though I needed to please God, as though I needed to please my parents, as though I needed to please my friends. And I had this enormous weight that was on me because I never could. I could never live up to my parents' standards. I could never live up to my friends' standards. I could never live up to God's standards. And I was overwhelmed. And it wasn't until I began to consider Jesus as Lord that I found freedom. Because here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing about him. Is that Jesus doesn't want to just save you from your sins. Which he does. He isn't just God himself. Which he is. He wants to control your life. He wants you to give up everything to him. And I'll tell you, so many people are like, well, I want to take baby Jesus in the manger. I want to take Jesus as Savior, but I'm not taking him as Lord. I'm not bowing to him. Well, guess what? You're not saved. You don't know him. It's until you come to the place of saying, God, uh, not my will, not my way, not my life, but yours. Take it all. Take it all. Take my family, take my future, take my finances, take all of me. When you take all of me, that's when I know that you are my Lord. I'll never forget when I did that. I went all in and I said, God, I don't know, but I can trust you with my life. Not my will, but yours. And ever since that moment, my life has been forever changed. Yeah, Jesus has come to do all the things on our behalf, but our response is, is he the Christ? Is he your savior? And is he your Lord? If he's not today, I encourage you to turn to him and say, Jesus, here I am in all of my sin and all of my shame and all of my pain. I give that all to you. And he'll take you on a journey that will blow your mind. It's amazing. So I want us to see him in his humility, but I also want us to see him as the good news, the good news of God. Look with me in verse 17, and we'll move quickly. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You see, this good news that we believe changes us. And I love how the, uh, the shepherds, when they come and they finally find baby Jesus, the Savior God, this, this um, God in the flesh there before them that was going to save them of their sins, they see him and they believe because they'd heard the message, they came and seen, and now they begin to proclaim. They proclaim that to those there who this baby really is that he is the Messiah, the Savior. He is the Lord. Because they saw it themselves. And they become, in essence, the first evangelists. They become the first ones to tell of the good news. And Mary responds in an amazing way. She is overwhelmed by this and she treasures this. And she ponders it in her heart. Others, we see that they are wondering in amazement, this message of wonderment. And then some choose to treasure and ponder like Mary does. And then we see the third way is that they, shepherds respond in worship. They lead by glorifying and praising God for what they have seen and what they had heard. And they're telling everyone about that. 
So really, this is one of the three ways that we can respond. Actually, there are four ways that you can respond to the gospel message this Christmas. One is you can flat out reject it. That's an option. You can say, yeah, this Jesus thing. Yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, how does Jesus fit into like, there's, there's Muhammad, there's Buddha, there's all, how is all, like, I'm still not convinced yet. You can, you can get that place. Or you can move into wandering. Where you may not have it all figured out yet, but you know there's something here. Something inside of you says, this is the truth of God. I don't fully understand it, but I know there's something here. And so you are moving into a space of wandering, questioning, continue to question. If that's you today, continue to question. Ask the big questions, ask the small questions. Seek the God of the Bible. Seek Jesus by reading his word and giving him space to tell you who he really is. Or maybe you're here today and your response needs to be that of Mary to where you take this message that you've already believed and once again you ponder it. Like, God, how does this gospel message impact me in my marriage? How does this gospel message impact me in my parenting? How does this, this, this message impact me in my finances and the way I deal with people in the world and all of this stuff? How does this gospel message not just stay inside of me, but how does it move beyond that? Maybe you're in a season of pondering. Continue to ponder. Or maybe you're in the season where we should be, where we believe it, we understand it, and we respond in worship. And this, this is what our world so desperately needs right now. Our true worshipers. Those that have come to consider Jesus and have accepted him as Savior and Lord. God has not saved you so that you can sit in silence. He doesn't want it to be a silent night any longer. The silent night happened a long, long time ago. Right now we should be roaring like lions. We should be proclaiming this great gospel message. You're like, hey, I, I, I don't know, how, how do I share the gospel? Exactly the same thing the shepherds did. What have you seen and what have you heard? That's it. Each one of us have a testimony about how God has come to us, revealed himself to us, and how he has specifically transformed us. That's what the world needs to hear. The world doesn't need to hear what you think. The world doesn't need to know what you feel. The world needs to know what you have experienced. And I'll tell you, that's what transforms the world. That's why Jesus came. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. Father, I thank you for this overwhelming message. I'm overwhelmed, personally overwhelmed, because you chose shepherds, ordinary people, to be the bearers of your gospel message. And oh God, I confess, I feel so ordinary. And I'm sure many here today feel so ordinary. And sometimes we may be overwhelmed by that ordinariness. But Father, you have given us an extraordinary message. The message that the world desperately needs to hear. So Father, I pray this Christmas, 
you would remind us of what Jesus has come to do and that we would be emboldened once again to share this with others. Yeah, we'll share it with family and they'll reject us. We'll share it with friends, they'll reject us. We share it and people will look with scorn and contempt and they may even try to keep us silent, but that's not why we do it. Because there are some out there that are still seeking a savior. There are still some out there that you are working in their heart right now to draw them out of the darkness into the light. You are at work. That is your work to save. You've already done the work on the cross. You give us the work of communicating. So Father, may we open our mouths. May we not be silent. Let's not worry about those that reject, but let us embrace those that will receive. And may we glory in the fact that God, you still save even the most wretched because you saved me. So Father, now as we sing this song together, may we be reminded of our hope that is in Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.